what questions should we be asking? Throughout our lives, we are always asking questions. As curious toddlers, we were forever asking why, eager to discover the world around us and how it works. And we asked the same question over and over again. Although we made our parents' heads dizzy, we never tired of the repetition. But besides our desire to understand, we also wanted to hold the attention of an adult. And what better way to do this than to ask questions? Educators tell us that asking questions help us learn faster and retain information better. It actually encourages active learning, ensures clarification, especially about difficult concepts, creates mental stimulation, boosts confidence, and promotes self-growth. Added bonuses to us include the strengthening of memory and oral communication skills, as well as helping us make better decisions and protecting us from making mistakes. Many of us may remember a time when we've sought the counsel of our parents or pastors or teachers, and their wise answers helped to establish trust between us, but also guided us into finding more effective solutions to our problems. Thoughtful, probing questions are the benchmark of an eager mind. Interestingly, the Gospels indicate that our Lord Jesus asked exceedingly more questions than he answered. Martin Copenhaver, the author of Jesus is the Question, reports that Jesus asked 307 questions, and he is asked 183 questions, but only answered three of them. Of course, he knew the answers to all questions, but he wants his probing audience to discover what they knew about him and his purpose in the world. What questions would you ask Jesus? Larry King, the famous television personality, was once asked if he could interview anyone in history, who would it be? Surprisingly, he, a Jew, answered Jesus Christ. And what would he ask? if he was indeed virgin-born? The answer to that question would define history for, miss, for me, he says. His question certainly indicates his uncertainty and doubt as to the deity of Jesus Christ, yet his eager curiosity suggests a hungry soul. Johnny Erickson Tada, a dedicated Christian whose creative and inspirational work has encouraged millions, has spent most of her life confined to a wheelchair following a traumatic diving accident as a teenager. She states, the first thing I'm going to do in heaven is ask Jesus to dance. Her solid assurance of eternity and the overarching love of Jesus Christ establishes her trust that she will walk, run, and even dance again when she sees Jesus face to face. Indeed, from these examples, our questions seem to indicate our understanding of who he is and what we want him to do for us. For instance, Pilate, presented with the accused blasphemer of Galilee, asked the subdued Jesus two significant questions. Are you the king of the Jews? And when Jesus explained that he came into the world to testify to the truth, then asked the searching question, what is truth? Yet, not waiting for a response, Pilate strode out to the waiting crowd and declared emphatically, he is not guilty of any crime. King Herod, on the other hand, was delighted to have the famous miracle worker stand before him and ask Jesus question after question, but Jesus refused to answer any of them.
Jesus wasn't interested in being a freak show for the corpulent, godless king who had no sincere interest in spiritual things. This, in fact, seems to be the intent of many of the questions Jesus was posed. When Jesus entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and was presented with a man with a deformed hand, the zealous Pharisees, seeking ways to discredit him, asked, Does the law permit a person to work by healing on the Sabbath? They were keen to bring charges against Jesus and catch him in a fault with the law, having zero interest in the man's healing and the transformation it would bring to his life. As crowds were surging around Jesus, excited for his teaching and healing, the Pharisees hoped to find an excuse to trap him again with questions of the law, asking, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Jesus patiently explains the purity of God's intent in the relationship between men and women, answers that seem too strict for both his disciples and the Pharisees. The rich young ruler seems to be more genuine in sincerity, yet still unclear about the grace and forgiveness Jesus offers humanity. The young man is still convinced that works are required to receive eternal rewards and asks, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? Yet even though he professes to honor others, Jesus' answer is distasteful to the wealthy young man as it requires him to put God first before others or himself. And so he walks away disappointed with the encounter. Even the disciples seemed to struggle in their service, hoping apparently that it would bring great current and eternal rewards. The ever-bold Peter blurts out, We've given up everything to follow you. What will we get? His question raises concerns that their service isn't entirely genuine but selfish, a point that can be considered when they fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane and despite Jesus' earnest appeal, couldn't you watch with me even one hour, still aren't moved to wakefulness. This can be said when they abandon Jesus when he's arrested, when Peter denies him in the courtyard, and when only John is present at his crucifixion, and when they're cowering in their homes after his astounding resurrection. Perhaps then, if his own disciples can't seem to get it right, we shouldn't be too hard on ourselves if we falter in our devotion or dedication, but I think not. Remember that after Peter's denial, Jesus met with his disciples on the beach for an early morning breakfast. It was then that Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter could only answer that he loved Jesus as a brother, phileo, and not the unconditional agape love that Jesus was requesting. It was only in Jesus' third request, Simon, son of John, do you love me, that Jesus uses the word phileo to indicate brotherly love, recognizing that Peter has not yet reached the point of unconditional love that Jesus had hoped. Yet despite this, Jesus still gave Peter specific instructions for ministry. Feed my lambs, take care of my sheep, feed my sheep. 
By the time Peter writes his second letter to his flock, he seems to understand what Jesus was asking of him and instructs his readers how to grow in faith, writing by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. From this passage, it seems clear that at last, Peter understands the agape, unconditional love of Jesus Christ and trusts that we can share in his divine nature, his divine agape love, and not be held back by the weaknesses of our human desires. In light of all this, what questions are we asking of Jesus? What questions should we be asking? Although we can get caught up in the petty and personal, yet seemingly important questions, can't you get me out of this difficulty? Don't you know how hard it is for me right now? Why aren't you helping me? Or perhaps the more difficult, why did my loved one die? Or why am I suffering from cancer? Fortunately, Jesus willingly receives all these questions and provides us with the answers even if our ears and our hearts can't hear them through our haze of grief and pain. Nonetheless, he also wants us to ask more profound questions like, what is your purpose for my life, Lord? What do you want me to do for you today, Jesus? What does your love and forgiveness really mean for me? And how can I see people as you see them? These probing questions and many others help us to get to the heart of the matter of knowing and serving Jesus. They take us beyond the superficial to the deeply personal and weighty answers that can set our lives on the course God truly desires for us in our intimate relationship with him. Thus, the next time you ask Jesus a question, think about it first and determine just where his answer will take you in understanding him more deeply. Further, think about the questions that Jesus may want to ask you. Are you prepared to answer him? And what will your answer show you and him about how much you truly love the Lord? God bless you, beloved. God bless you.